On today's podcast, we recap the five most important things from another week in the NFL. I have my college football top 12 rankings, and Peter Schrager of Good Morning Football is going to join us. We're going to talk upcoming trade deadline, what went on with the McCaffrey trade, should Micah Parsons be the MVP, a lot of really good stuff, and a couple stories as well with Peter. And, of course, life advice with a follow-up from the guy that confronted the bicycle thief. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Recap in the NFL, five most important things I saw this weekend. Is Laurie Markkinen next? Does he actually have next? No, we'll uh, we'll save that for Wednesday. Okay, San Francisco's up 13-7 on Kansas City. Kansas City a little sloppy with the football to start it off. Kansas City's up 14-13, but San Francisco's on the KC5. I, on my couch, in this moment, as San Francisco's driving and battling with what I think is still the second-best team in the NFL and the Chiefs, I'm going, man, this is why you can't rule out the Niners. That's why you can't rule the Niners out. Look at this defense. They're making things tough. Garoppolo's moving the football here a little bit. And then within seconds, he throws a pick on third and five or third down at the KC five-yard line. It was within this, it wasn't even 30 seconds. It was this just cycle of thoughts where I went, hey, be fair. You know, you're thinking about how you want to craft, how you're talking about teams, whether it's this week or for the rest of the season. And then I was like, within not even 30 seconds, I was reminded why I actually don't know that I can take them all that seriously, even though the resume with the two NFC appearances, title game appearances, you still... The resume tells you that you have to keep kind of, you know, you kind of have to still factor in the Niners somewhat. Uh, that was, according to Mike Sando's column this week, which I always check on a Monday morning, the worst defensive performance by the Niners in 377 games because then the Chiefs put it on him. 21 points. McCaffrey played 21 snaps. Not like he had anything to do with him not getting it done. Uh, but just again, those little reminders, Garoppolo. As much as you can talk yourself into the one loss record with him. Again, what is my rule? What does the team do with their own quarterback? Are they doing things where it looks like they want to move on from their own quarterback? And I don't necessarily like the quarterback. Then I feel pretty good about my position. Um, so there you go with that. Tom Brady is under 500. This is number two. He is under 500 through seven games for the first time in 20 years. You want to know how misleading quarterback stats can be? Let's check some out here with Brady. His final stats, he was 32 of 49, 290 yards. Because I kept looking at the stat line while they had zero points throughout almost the entire game. They ended up getting three against Carolina. 
So he's if Brady were 32 of 49, 290 yards with no picks, you'd be like, ah, they probably, you know, 21 points, trolled the game at Carolina. They're on their third string quarterback. Probably pull that one out. Nope. Because they were two for 12 on third downs, which isn't very good. They're still in first place. They're still in first place in that awful NFC South division. But there's a bigger thing going on, and that is the ultimate time when it had to at some point look bad. I'm not sure that I'm there yet. And when he said, what, seven years ago he's going to play until he was 45, I thought that was ridiculous. But it's a bit like the LeBron thing where you're just waiting. Be like, how weird is it going to be when it looks bad? The stats for Brady are bad, but there's a lot of stuff that's bad. The O-line isn't that great. They've had to shuffle that group. They have had uh, better receiving options the last few weeks after shuffling through who their top three guys you know, Julio Jones not being a factor, to me, that's not super surprising. That's why I don't get excited about an older guy who's hurt all the time looking great in camp. Everybody looks fresh at the beginning. It's the same thing in the NBA. Like, man, this guy's moving around. Okay, how's it going to look in March if he's a little bit older? And then, of course, the off-the-field stuff with Brady and his personal life and, you know, some of this stuff, which is, you know, I don't know what to make of it. I'm not going to do a 30-minute open on divorce. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people would appreciate that. But if this ends up being the end and it doesn't get any better, then that will be a playing of the results where they'll go, oh, he missed all this time in August. He went to Kraft's wedding, <laughs> right? Like, you really think Brady couldn't, like, if he hadn't gone to Kraft's wedding, the Pittsburgh game would be different. You say, hey, well, other quarterbacks couldn't get away with it. Yeah, no shit. When you have Brady's resume, you're allowed certain things. And my thing that I would allow Brady is that I'd expect that he's going to be okay going to a wedding on a Friday before a Pittsburgh game. But you add all these things up when they're not playing this well, and you start picking and choosing whatever you want to go to. And I'm telling you, I can't come up with an answer. Uh, they can't run the football to save their lives. There's 64 yards per game now on the ground, which is last in the NFL by a pretty good chunk. I don't know if this is going to get turned around, but Vilma, who I like, was on the broadcast going, I don't know why Tampa Bay's getting so much shit from the media. They're still in first place. But like, dude, they're three and four. Like, This is why they're getting so much shit. Look at this game. Like just when you think the Pittsburgh game was bad, this was way worse. And I now am watching every week going, oh, it's it, like this guy will be old, right? At some point, it will be too much for him. But yet, I don't think that's necessarily exactly what's happening right now. All right. Staying in the NFC, before I get to number three here, if you look at the playoff standings as of right now, Philly, no surprise, the one seed. Minnesota's your two seed. Seattle's a three seed. <laughs> Tampa's still a four because of the division. The Giants are five. Dallas is six. And the Rams are actually still in this right now as of today. Uh, Green Bay is 10th. <laughs> Number three, people wanted to call in about the Rosillo Fund. Some of our calls. We had some good stuff in the college football sector this year. We were early on not believing in Oklahoma. We were early on not believing in Ole Miss. We'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, those are minor positions. We were able to, re we could have just retired on our Westbrook Harden and Russell Wilson personality funds that we had going on. There was a lot of volume, a lot of volume in the Russell Wilson personality fund. So we had to kind of close some of the some of the rounds in that one just out of just sheer demand. We'd like to say that we're cycle agnostic. I heard that the other day. Uh, we will zag, though, at some point. Um, but there's definitely some c concerns in our Daniel Jones position. Some people are calling, being like, are we on the right side of this bet? It doesn't feel like it right now. They're 6-1. and one. That was a great win against Jacksonville. 
Like there was a lot of different stuff that had to happen for that game to go down the way it did, but it wasn't like a fluky thing. Yeah, I know Jacksonville had that fumble, but like I like Jacksonville kind of. I think they're a team that you have to be up for. And it kind of feels that way too. Like how many teams do you go down where like even the Raiders who have this terrible record, look at their offense. Look at their offensive rankings. Like I think there's there's less easy easy W's in the NFL, at least the first half of this season that I've seen in a while. So I should say there aren't as many easy outs. But Daniel Jones, who had 35 turnovers in his first three years, so that's picks and fumbles lost because he had even more fumbles that he didn't lose. He's got a month now without a pick, zero fumbles this season. So people are asking about our position as far as the Daniel Jones part of our thing. And um, we wrote a letter to our investors and we said the analysis was correct, but the performance is wrong. And people want to know if we're going to sell our Chargers position. Um, so those are two parts of the fun we don't feel great about. <laughs> Number four, is Cincy good again? They're four and three. Let's recap their losses. Overtime Steelers. Remember the missed field goal? Although Steelers missed one too and then won it in overtime. Dallas, three-point loss. They were going up against Cooper Rush. And we know this, Cooper Rush never loses. And the last second field goal lost to Baltimore. So those are the three losses. Let's look at the resume. They're 14th in yards per play, but they're 8th in points per game. Their defense is actually kind of top 10 in a lot of different categories. And one of the most important things you can do is where are you in red zone touchdown percentage? They are 8th in that at 63%. You know who's the second worst team as far as touchdown red zone percentage? Because this is usually a pretty good indicator. Like if you're doing this well... That's great. Same as third downs, third down conversion, third down conversion against your defense. If you're doing those things well and the team has a bad record, you're like, okay, maybe that'll come back around. Seattle, who has this unbelievable offense, is fifth in points per game and they're second worst in red zone touchdown percentage. That surprised me. The summary of this is pretty simple. There's a lot of things about Cincinnati you can like. I don't like when coaches the next year go, hey, we had five one possession losses. Like literally everybody had like five one-possession losses. But with Cincinnati, there's something there to tell you they might be actually better than the record. <laughs> A final thing, number five. thing I'm afraid to say, but I think I'm going to say it anyway. Is Micah Parsons the MVP? He is the best game wrecker on defense in the NFL. I don't know that that's debatable. And there's a lot of guys that we all like. And I do feel a little guilty kind of transitioning off of Aaron Donald because that's just the guy I had so much joy in watching playing that side of the football. Um, when you think about the awards, you have to think about not only who you are, but then again, who you're competing against. When we start really breaking down the college football playoff stuff and all these different scenarios, and you'll be like, well, would this team do this, this, and this? I'm like, okay, well, tell me what the other four conferences are doing. Who are their conference champions? Do we have multiple conference champions with bad resumes? You know, this isn't, hey, this team did this, yes or no. And that applies to the MVP as well. Because if you're Parsons and you're saying, well, can I actually win this? Well, who are you competing against? And this year might be the lightest competition at the top of the quarterback food chain that we've seen in a very, very long time. The old names, we've covered it. They look old right now. It's not working out. Could Mahomes just put up some stats? It doesn't matter. Kansas City ends up being a two seed. It's good enough. Josh Allen ends up getting the whole thing for the first time. Yep, no problem. But Parsons is doing some things in these games. Now, his win rate is number one in the NFL. His win rate last year was off the charts for even a rookie, but then he could turn and cover. The Philadelphia game, they schemed to kind of like try to make him make the decision to go at him. 
And when Lane Johnson came out, yes, that's different. But he almost brought Dallas back as a defensive player in the second half of that game. And the chase down tackle that he had yesterday, if you've seen that replay that he played that he makes at the pylon, it looks like something's wrong with everybody else. It looks if it were a video game, you'd be like, oh, computer dicking. Like they just had the defensive guy turn into Superman and tackle the other guy. Allen is on pace to break the all-time passing yardage record in NFL history. And if the Bills are the one seed, a quarterback's probably going to get it. But I think Parsons has a real campaign here. And we start it today. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. This is fun. We have Peter Schrager again. It's been a while. He's the host of the Emmy Award-winning Good Morning Football, which airs Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Eastern on NFL Network. He's also the host of a new podcast this season with Peter Schrager, which is available wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes available every Tuesday. And guests so far include Jets head coach Robert Sala and Paul Rudd with his uh, Pacheco jersey. Yeah. <laughs> Rudd, we went, I, I mean, I called in every favor for the first couple of guests. It'll trail off, I assure you. Um, but it was like, Sala, in season, can you do me a solid? We've been boys. Like He's like, yeah, I'll do it for you. And then Rudd, I'm like, hey, man, I need you here. All right. I like our guest for week three. It's coming out tomorrow. Interviewing Ken Dorsey. Uh, Miami Hurricane legend, I like that. also the Bills offensive coordinator with this podcast, as you have on screenwriters and business guys. And I always love the variety of guests you have. It's not just one sport or not just one interest of yours. I got interests all over. And with Dorsey, it was kind of like, we always get these guys after they're the head coach. Let's try to give them an opportunity to introduce themselves before they're the head coach. And obviously his whole thing is slamming the tablet. And we think he's this maniac. He's actually like a really erudite smart, soft-spoken guy, and he's super, super in tune with like what the NFL's offense is going to look like the next 10 years. So coming out of the gate hot, so I'm hoping we can keep it going, but every week on Tuesdays, and uh, I appreciate you bringing it up. Yeah, by the way, Allen is on pace to break Manning's total yards for a season, which no one ever cares about any of these NFL records, but I was thinking about it yesterday when Burrow was was on pace. But just as before we jump to all the other stuff as a podcast host, I can tell you almost every podcast host starts with I just want to go A-list all the time. And then it's month six, and you're like, oh, the Toronto Raptors blogger canceled? Okay, no problem. We'll uh, we'll just do a longer open or whatever. I mean, it's just it's just hard to bring it. You know, it's hard to bring it you, you every single on, week. You had on, I think, the showrunner of, like, Mayor of Easttown probably, like, a year ago. Yeah, and Inglesby. I'm like, and I'm like, fuck, that's a guess. Like, I love that shit. And I'm watching Industry on HBO, and I'm, like, direct messaging the showrunner. I'm like, I know my audience probably isn't watching Industry, but I find you interesting. I like the show you guys are doing. It's one of those deals where it's 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 my podcast. I did it on my terms. Like, the NFL is my partner. I'm like, let's let's have a great time and have good conversations. But Rudd, Rudd sat for 90 minutes. I've gotten to know him fairly well over the last few years. He lives in Brooklyn. So do I. We see each other. And he was like, cool. And it wasn't just Chiefs talk. He tells a great... Seth Rogen story. He tells amazing Nathan Fielder stories. They have a relationship. So like, I, I'm thrilled with what it's been so far, but I, I understand the booking situation quite well. Trust me. I work on a daily television show where half the guests, I'm like, who? 
<laughs> well, there you go. Can't wait to check out the next episode. Okay, let's jump into the trade deadline stuff. You got November first coming. Um, the NFL trade deadline, I think, is a lot better than it used to be when we grew up with it. I used to love how, like, no, nah, you can't put them in that system as if like these sick wide receivers would just never be able to figure yeah. out the route tree for ten weeks after the trade deadline. So, uh, we've got McCaffrey in San Francisco. You were all over this. Uh, there's something I want to talk about in the back end of it, but tell us how this went down because as we get more information, it sounds like the Rams were kind of neck and neck with the Niners on this. Rams were in it. First, it started off the Bills. Brandon Bean, who was part of the group that drafted uh, McCaffrey down in Carolina, is in Buffalo. So the Bills showed initial interest. And then the the ask, which is what we were told from all the teams, started off with multiple draft picks, including a first rounder. I went on Fox NFL kickoff and I said, Brian Burns is going to be two first round picks if you want him with McCaffrey. They would love multiple first round picks. And then that went crazy viral. Like, what is Schrager talking about? And the truth was, that's what teams were being told that like it's going to be a first rounder plus. And if they can get two first round picks, if there's a bidding war, that they'd be thrilled with that. McCaffrey was always going to be on the block. And for Carolina, he's been great. He's 26 years old. It's one of those deals where he is a running back. He is like a, an expensive sports car where for those four games, you drive that thing on a Friday night. Like that is, that is hot. But on a, the fifth game, you don't know if McCaffrey's there. He ran so hard against the Rams where that was almost like an audition tape. 31 teams were watching and there were a lot of teams inquiring. Uh, the Rams made an offer. The Niners made an offer. Rams made another offer. Niners made another offer. At the end of the day, the Niners had a second, a third, and a fourth from this upcoming draft and a fifth for next year's draft or 2024 draft, which put them over the top. The Rams didn't have the collateral. They would have loved to have had Christian McCaffrey, but uh, this is the first time. And these teams have kind of gone tit for tat in these before. I think it was Aqib Tlaib a couple of years ago was wanting out of Denver at the time. And both both sides like went at it and it was the Rams in the end who could offer more uh, with the Stafford stuff. Those 49ers were interested, of course, the, the, the Niners couldn't match what the Rams were going to put together and the Rams closed that deal. This one, it was like the McCaffrey connection to the Shanahan's, the McCaffrey's fit in this offense. They were going for him and they get him. But after yesterday with what Carolina did, talk about the November 1st deadline, like I think they're really, they're really stuck. They're, they're not trading Brian Burns. Like that is, that is their guy. And he, and he had a huge game yesterday, obviously, but he, DJ Moore, JC Horn, those are like, franchise cornerstones and they're not willing to just give them away for 60 cents on the dollar. The running back who's often injured, I feel like they were open to listening and I think they got the equivalent of what basically is a first round pick for all those other picks. Yeah, because when it came out, we were talking about this before. I was like, they're not going to get a first. Like running backs, a guy that's just hurt and the money that's owed him, if you look at some of the raw contract stuff, it's worse than it actually is. Um, it's not cheap, but it's not nearly as expensive. The number for this year is nothing. So you didn't have to worry about your cap for this season. But you're right. I mean, if you add up a second, third, and fourth, teams would probably rather have that than a first. Was there anything to, wow, we think the Rams are in total trouble where the Niners with that defense can stay competitive and they would have rather the Rams picks to play it's that kind of bet? Or Ooh, it just yeah. didn't matter? I don't know it from that side. I, I felt like this was they, they were going to get McCaffrey to a contender um, and they were going to do him a solid on that. And both teams at the time were three and three. And now one of them is three and four, the team that he's on. But I, I think it was the best deal that they could get. It was to the highest bidder. And in this case, I know McCaffrey was fired up. And you watched a game on Sunday. It's like he comes out hard. He's coming right out. Like 
he didn't get there. He didn't land until like Friday, five o'clock, you know, Eastern time, two o'clock Pacific. So for that to happen in less than 50 hours to go and play and then do an actually functional job before the game got out of hand, I thought it was pretty impressive. They're going to use them in a lot of cool ways, but Sunday was just kind of a glimpse of how they plan on using them. I know it's not as exciting as we already said. Is there any other thing to pay attention to a team need a team that's active a, a player like we do I, I still feel like we're 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 too early on the players going get me the hell out of here publicly i mean i guess robbie anderson but that one doesn't really yeah. feel like it counts because he feels like he's been miserable for multiple years but is there anything else trade deadline wise that's worth paying attention to well you see some of these guys who might be upset with their action or their usage so let's start with cam Akers in la and it's one of these deals where it just wasn't clicking and McVeigh and him weren't seeing eye to eye on some things. They weren't thrilled with how he was playing. And then he has this opportunity to have a big game and then he doesn't necessarily have it. And then he didn't even dress the last game they had. So then you give the agent the go ahead, like, all right, like do what you got to do, like figure it out. And there's no market for that guy because he's already been buried at the back of the Rams offense. And they're starting Ronnie rivers over him that you sort of minimize that. Then you go to the jets and it's like Elijah Moore's his second year player. And, you figure, okay, there's a lot there and the Jets aren't looking to trade them. They just said, you're not coming with us to Denver. You, you can't be demanding targets after a huge win that's like a franchise moment with their victory that they had two weeks ago. And then to, to, to worry about your targets, like, why don't you take the week off? They'll revisit it as they get back. And as it goes, it's like a lot of these young guys, and I, I'd be curious your thought on this because I come out sounding like a man yelling at the cloud or I come out sounding like the old school football fan I am, but a lot of these young guys, I don't know what it is, if it's the transfer portal or what it is, but like, it sounds kind of almost tone deaf. Like the Rams are, you know, falling apart and acres is upset. Then the jets are on this high and it's Elijah Moore's upset about his targets and maybe rightfully so he hasn't been targeted at all. He's not part of the offense really. But I ask you as someone who follows college as closely, maybe it's because of the transfer portal stuff. I just feel like everything changes, okay? Now, that is as broad a statement as you can make on, a, on, on any platform, but <laughs> there's a backstory to this where if you were a certain stature in the NBA, you could pull this off, right? And it used to be you had to have like a year left in your contract. And then there's this, this, this gradualism where then it becomes, well, I got two years and I want out of here. All right. And then it's like, okay, well, wait a minute. If that guy asked out and he's not one of the five best players, but he's from like six to 15, and I'm like maybe the 20th best player, then maybe I can ask out. Stretch it. So, yeah. Right. So I think that what you saw is we saw it with quarterbacks in the NFL. Mm -hmm. And this is just all where all of this is going. I'm the transfer portal may have a lot to do with it, but I think it's just the way the athlete goes, wait, if I just am a asshole, like I might get my way. And get out of here. So I'll I'll have like sort of a cutoff line where it's like you guys, you, 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 and you, you guys can demand stuff. But like if Jay Crowder is just gonna like, what can Jay Crowder ultimately demand? Now Phoenix has kind of let him do his thing and, and not even play. And they, they would need his depth. But when Elijah Moore, after a win at Lambeau, mm. is going, hey, I don't, you know, look, Elijah Moore is a really talented kid. He is. But there's if you pulled every guy at Buffalo Wild Wings, you know, hey, you, how aware are you about the Elijah Moore story? I mean, other than fantasy, I just, 
I think there's a line. I think you have to have done something, whether it's in the NFL or in, you need to have done something. You need to have some equity. But I think this is where this all goes, where, where guys are going to go, well, if that guy did it, and that guy did it, and that guy did it, and then it slowly moves the bar lower to who thinks it's acceptable. That's just the theory, but I think it's a good one. I think it's a good one. And as it stretches on, these guys, they come off like, to the common fan or the New York Post or the Daily News. It's like, well, that's absurd. Like, and, and then you wonder, does the player read that? Does he have a, an agent in his ear? Like, hey, guy, like, just, just Elijah, like, just, just suck it up. Like, you're great. We're in a good thing right now. Like, you'll get yours. Um, but I find those are the guys that, and right now the Jets have told me that Elijah Moore is like not a, not a guy they're looking to trade. They still think that he's still a valuable part of this team. But those are the types of ones I'd be looking for. And I've seen in the headlines that like Claypool and Pittsburgh is a possibility and Kareem Hunt and Cleveland, it seems like their season might be like, I haven't heard that from those teams or those agents. So a lot of that could just be speculation. That's actually interesting that you go back to August and, and you know, we, we get so excited for the preseason debut, the hall of fame game. And there was Josh Jacobs toting the rock like 30 times. And the story was <laughs> Josh Jacobs is on the block. Like they're trying to shop him. Meanwhile, yesterday in a game, Josh Jacobs goes for like a buck 50 and has three touchdowns and is the best player on the field. So that thing can change very quickly. just based on production. Okay, let's stay with the Rams real quick because I know you've you've spent time with them, and this is kind of a bigger theme that we've hit on here in the last week or so. Is that you know I feel wrong about the NFC, but I think everybody should feel wrong about the NFC unless you are all the way in on Philly. The Rams are a disappointment. Green Bay loses and blows the lead to Tyler Heineke. You know, um, the Rams, the Tampa, on and on and on. So all these contenders. The Niners, you could throw them in there as well. These teams that we just figured, hey, they're going to make up most of the NFC playoff field. What's the story with the Rams? Yeah, so every Friday, uh, I, I, I'm i in New York City. I finish Good Morning Football, and then I'll fly out to Los Angeles because I work on the Fox NFL kickoff show. And this was the Rams bye week, and I knew things weren't going right. I've known McVay for a long time. I text him, like, do you want to get a drink? He's like, why don't you come over? So I came over, spent time with him on Saturday and he's in a good place. Like they know where they're at as far as record goes, but he also knows that this team objectively has played terribly through six weeks. And it's this weird thing where you you got to the top of the mountain and then within an instant, boom, like we're back in where this mediocre team, how do you make it work? But his whole thing was like, I've got a lead. I've got these young guys on this team who are being put in tough spots. You're talking about guys like, you know, their center last week was like a, was a former like police officer who they got off the street and was their 15th offensive lineman during the preseason. And he's starting at center because he's their fourth center. Um, and he understands that like it's, it's his attitude that's going to set the tone. So there's this angle of the Rams situation where it's like, all right, we lost to the Buffalo Bills who are beating anybody week one. We lost to the Dallas Cowboys who no one can stop Micah Parsons right now. And we lost to the San Francisco 49ers front, which just dominated ours. They got the Niners next week. They're already building the game plan. They know they're not what they were, but there's no feeling with like in that building that like this shit is lost. So I, that was the perfect time for a bye week. We hung a little bit. We ended up watching White Lotus, which were you a fan or no? Big time. I thought it was great. McVay hadn't seen it. I was like, let's not watch college football. Let's watch White Lotus. You've never seen it. He and his it was wife a bad late slate. So it was, it was it, there was nothing. We were watching uh, Oregon or UCLA, and then we got into the Mike White uh, White Lotus. Shout out to to all those actors. Fantastic job right there by Steve Zahn. Um, and at the end of it, I was like, all right, the Rams they're going to give a fighter's chance here in this thing. They're not packing it, and this isn't like 
panic button time just yet. You get blown out by the Niners when you get out of this and then you have this whole slate, then you might be talking about a different version. But for as low as they've gone, they're still three and three and they're a half game behind the Seahawks in the standings. In the open, I talk Tampa. I'm open to anything, uh, any explanation. I'm not sure which one's right. Uh, yesterday was was ugly. I mean, how you lose to Carolina, how you lose to P.J. Walker. I mean, no offense to him, but like you expect this, is the, game, this is the game where the Bucs get right. O-line, can't run the football. Uh, Brady's overall numbers, as I mentioned again in the open, if you just saw a snapshot of it, you'd be like, oh, you know, he didn't have that bad of a game. I don't know if it's the off-the-field stuff. I, I would have a hard time believing that that's the difference for Brady, but that will, be the, that will be the number one reason. They'll play the results and say, well, he was going through all this different stuff. I don't know if it's the coaching. I don't know if it's Leftwich. I don't know what it is. Your thoughts. Where do you start? You're right. And I think the off-the-field stuff is important because it is so harrowing. You can tell physically, like everyone's making jokes about like facelifts and stuff. He's down 15 pounds this summer. Like he looked sickly at points. And I, I would have to think that's the mental anguish and the emotional anguish that he was going through with this whole thing. Then it carries over to the season and you turn to football as like your solace is like, okay, I can turn it off for three hours and just play football. And it's a comforting place. And then it hasn't been comforting. It's been you know terrible. It's at one of those points where you could point at any direction. And I will point to like Leftwich and Bowles because I don't feel much inspiring stuff out of those guys right now either. I, you know, Bowles' press conference yesterday was like, we're in a dark place. And, it, and we're in a, in a really low place. Like, all right, yeah. great, dude. Like, thanks. Like, that's what our jobs are for. We're looking for you to, to lift those guys. Um, the play calling is, you know, it's fourth and one. And you go to like this 1985 halfback toss to Fournette and he's stuffed and it hasn't been working all game. I don't think Leftwich has done them any favors. I don't think Brady's played great. And I don't think the uh, the head coach has, you know, inspired the guys to go out there and, you know, shut up the critics. So I, I, towards the end of there, I was kind of like, all right. Brady's obviously tuned out Arians that had to end and like it did. And then now we're seven weeks in. I'm like, I kind of use some fire from someone on that coaching staff or someone to light a fire under the entire team because they came out listless and it it doesn't seem like there's like this turn the switch and snap your fingers. And it's suddenly going to just work this week against Baltimore. You know, what's weird too, is that I, uh, I don't know enough about the play. Like I'm, I'm very anti, Hey, all your play calling is wrong. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm very anti. I'd imagine if any of us were brought into the film room after the fact and walked through everything, we're thinking like the people that you think are the dumbest coaches, the oh, dumbest yeah. play callers, if they so explained true. everything that went into their decision making, we would all leave going, oh, maybe it's me. Yeah. Maybe it's me. Maybe these guys actually did have a plan. I just didn't execute whatever. So I'm, I'm very anti on the play calling thing. I love Bulls with the Jets. That 10 and 6 team and 15. Fitzpatrick. It wasn't that good. And the way he then carried himself the rest of the way when they went 5 and 11, 5 and 11, 4 and 12, I remember being like, hey, it's the Jets. Like, I still like Bulls. So I was thrilled that he got this opportunity. And there's, there's just a demeanor with him that I've always really liked. And the track record when he's been a coordinator on the other side of the ball, like, he's, he's got a really nice resume. He's awesome. Yeah. So I, I don't know enough about the left which part of it, but I guess I'd just be really disappointed because I feel like I have a lot of Todd Bowles stock because I so just do remember, I. I remember falling in love with him every time he would talk about those Jets. Like every week, it'd be another bad Jets deal. And the way he handled I'm like, I fucking love this guy. It also, it went sour between him and McCagnan at the end there. And it was, they were on separate, you know, separate stages here. And like he gets fired midseason, McCagnan stays and he just took the high road. Like, and, and the New York media was like, was like just, prying anything and like bulls just took the high road and was like i will not 
speak out on Mike. Like um, it's um, to blame. And I'm like, God, that's classy. And he's always been that guy. So I take no joy in taking a shot at Todd Bowles, but that demeanor you see, like, I don't know. Is there another level to that where, okay, let's, let's change it up and try to, instead of just being so even keeled throughout this thing. Does Rogers deserve more criticism? um, Not because of the play, but because of the contract. Because what's he make twenty two percent of the salary cap? I think so. Yeah. So you know, I know not everybody's going to be Brady, and if you ever have a moment, get Bill Polian started on the discounts that Brady took with the Patriots over the years. But I'll spare myself that moment. (laughs) (laughs) I I look at Rogers and his post game stuff yesterday, which you know, whatever. I you know. Rogers yeah. has, has has enough equity built up to kind of put it was it was it felt a little bit like the rest of these guys suck and no quarterbacks having a good time when he feels like other guys are screwing up so when he's yelling what the fuck are we doing like we've seen it from the best guys <laughs> yeah. we've seen it from some guys that aren't that good uh, but I guess I just have a hard time having any sympathy for Rogers when it's like you stomped your feet for a long time and you acted like it was some six and ten organization and it isn't. They've done a really good job. Um, and then you took the largest cap hit in the history of the NFL. So, like, what? And apparently, whether Adams wanted to be back with his best friend, Derek Carr, or was like, I actually just don't want to be around this uncertainty, there's a part of this story where Rodgers also did it to himself. My point is this. I just, they could still figure it out because of that guy and how special he is, but I don't have very much sympathy for him considering all the shit that he's done the last year plus. Yeah, I don't think, and I also don't think he's blaming others. I think, you know, the one quote he had last week was, you know, we have to simplify things. And I gave the floor a little credit on our show, Gamora Football, because he wrote back, he's like, I don't know what that means, which is the first time we've seen LaFleur maybe clap back a little bit. Like, you know, what are you talking about? And Rogers has shown, um, I think, uh, you know, an ability to say things without saying things. And now, you know, he's, he's, even confident that they're going to like show up against the bills on Sunday night football. And we're going to go and like, he says it now. And you almost in the past, we've had relax and we've had run the table. And this one you say, all right, bro, like you're saying this, do you believe this? Do you really believe that you're going to go beat the bills on Sunday night in Buffalo? We'll see Uh crazier things have happened, but you know, Bakhtiari signs, you know, the biggest deal for a left tackle a couple of years ago, he was out and he's been out most of his time since signing that deal. They had four different offensive linemen. They went over six, on third downs, except for two illegal use of the hands penalties that they got the first down. Over six on third downs on Sunday against the Washington Commanders. It's the last time a Packers team has gone over on third downs since 99. And, you know, Rodgers was in high school at that time. So there's crazy numbers. But like you look at this roster, it's he's throwing a two guys, second and a fourth round pick. One of them went to Nevada. The other one went to North Dakota State. He's relying on Cobb. Now he's out relying on Sammy Watkins, who's on his like 11th team. There's not a lot out there. Mercedes Lewis is a great story when Mercedes Lewis is your third tight end and, you know, can throw a block here and there. You shouldn't be relying on Mercedes Lewis in a big spot. So, you know, he is to blame with the salary, but they also haven't exactly gone out of their way to surround him with much talent at the skill positions in recent years. I guess I just look at the overall package of it, you know, the overall package of it. Like he's acting like he's on one of the worst rosters, you know, when, when he had his blow up two years ago, I just felt like, okay, but this is, it's a little bit like the Russell Wilson thing. Like Wilson's thing was about his brand. It was about a bigger city. 
even though Denver ended up not being the city that I thought he was going to force his way to. Uh, he got the huge extension. He was going to be able to call all the shots. He got everything he wants. It hasn't worked out at all. Who knows if it's all health-related or not. But when I looked at Russell Wilson, I'm like, you guys are good every year. Yeah. Like, you guys are like, you're taking, you for, about? Right, you're taking for granted how hard it is in this league. And granted, you have a lot to do with the reason why you're so good every single year. But like, I'm looking at, you know, I, I look at Matt Ryan at the end of Atlanta going, that's like, you guys are acting like you're in that situation mm -hmm. and you're not. So anyway, um, I said something else. They want me to always say something every week, like something I'm afraid to say, but I'm going to, I don't want to say it, but then I say it anyway. And then yeah. I beg them not to use it as a breakout video because then you become married to this thing. And, and then it goes on social media and yeah. Yep. Right. Right. Aware. You're aware of the game. <laughs> Micah Parsons, MVP. Yeah, dude, let's do, talk. I'm in. Do we bro. start the push? Let's go. This is the year. There's no other clear cut guy. It's That's so like my point. 86. LT, Ryan, I love you saying this because I put it out there before the Philly game. I said, if he comes into Philly and he blows up that team and he does all he does and they win that game, he's clearly the best player on his team and the Cowboys are the surprise team. Then they lose and everyone's like, ah, look, you were wrong. I'm like, no, he was amazing in that game. The second Lane Johnson went out, Micah Parsons is all over the field. He's covering tight ends, Goddard. He's on the line. He's doing everything. He's the best player every time he steps on a football field. And if the Cowboys can somehow figure this out, I think team success matters a lot. In a weird year where, like, I guess we can give it to Mahomes. I guess we can give it to Allen. If Geno Smith wants to go on some crazy run or Burrow wants to break every yard, yeah, we can go that route. But, you know, it should not just be a quarterback award and if ever there was a time right now i watch every game in the nfl i don't think one player stands out more than micah Parsons stands out for the dallas cowboys i didn't bring this up in the beginning because i felt like okay retroactively now i almost feel bad about aaron donald never winning this but when you're controlling the line of scrimmage and granted they do move donald around but i think for like some of the prime stuff i i would guess that the snap count still majority of it is is closer to the center so it's just not as easy to see his domination unless you're looking for it. Parsons, I cannot take my eyes off of him. Like I end up not watching anything else other than him, and it's it's worth it. Like it's fine. Like I see plenty of other guys snap the football. Uh, I can't stop watching Parsons, and I think because of your point, it's the point I made in the open, is that awards are how who you are, and ultimately like who you're competing with. And this year could be that year where there's maybe not, maybe there's a Mahomes fatigue, and then an open race at the rest of the position. Yeah, and like Jalen Hurts is like a pick that a lot of people are saying. But like, do you feel like when you watch these games that Jalen Hurts is the best player in all of football? No, he's a quarterback for a really good team, and they're rolling. Like you go through the list, you could tear apart all of them. Like Josh Allen has been awesome. And maybe this is his year, but that was predestined before the season. And I think people are looking to chip away at that a little bit. It's just the way the voters work. Um, I would, I would also like go through it and say that the, the Cowboys have primetime games coming up in big spots. They have a, they have a Thanksgiving game against the giants that matters. They have a, a Christmas Eve game against the Eagles that matters. Like those prime spotlight games are a huge influence on these voters because it's the one time a lot of these voters are not in a press box. They're on their couch, they're watching and they're like, oh yeah, Michael Parsons. As, as elementary as that sounds, a lot of the voters are at different games every week and they're not watching the tape and they're not watching the film. So to me, those primetime spots are huge. And if Michael Parsons can dominate those games, I think there's going to be a lot of momentum for him. It's a great point. It's a great point because those the perception of you as a team as a player is is three four times 
like once it's the prime time game, you, whatever it is that you do, good or bad, it's it's worth like four games. Yeah, three or four games. I'll also there was a stat that uh, you know I'm very lucky. I get the NFL Network like researchers, and there's a team of twelve of them, and they'll send me notes, and they're like, use this on the show, and then I'll just you know, plagiarize and regurgitate it often get the stat wrong, but try my hardest. <laughs> but one of them was Parsons is like leading the league in sacks or at the time he was, he was tied for first in sacks, but he was only rushing the passer on like 65% of the snaps. And it's just like, you know, pass rushers, they rush the passer hundred percent of the time of the sack. That's their job. Go Bosa, go get the quarterback on dropbacks. But Parsons is, pl- is covering the wide receiver and the tight end for 35% of the snaps. So what he does, he's a true unicorn. And uh, watching him play, I'm the same way with you. Like I used to, they used to say like, you know, if you just watch Walter Jones, you'll understand. And I'm like, I can't watch a left tackle. Like I watch the ball. I watch the quarterback. If you just watch Micah Parsons, it's really fun. It's, it's a great way to watch a game. Okay. You mentioned the Giants and that matchup. What's, what kind of arguments do you guys have on good morning football about the Giants? Yeah, there's, there's like, uh, the anti is like, well, they're barely getting by and look who they've beaten and other, but it's hard now they're six and one. And like, they, they're just really well coached. They fight and they come back from these deficits in the fourth quarter. Uh, it's hard. The, the argument is, do you extend Daniel Jones? And a lot of giants fans would roll their eyes and say, no, but he just wins games right now. And if he finishes this thing out where they're a playoff team and they maybe win a playoff game, like, do you not? Resign Daniel Jones? Do you not figure it out? But I don't think there's any haters at the moment. We're kind of digging it. We're we're a New York-based show, and we started in 2016, and the Giants and Jets have not been relevant in five years. So we'll beggars can't be choosers. We'll take it. We got their audience, and they're a fun team to root for. They're not pretty, but they get the job done. Yeah, the Jags win. Granted, that was maybe an inch away from from being a loss, but it felt like all of us liked the Jags immediately, and they were like, "Wait, should we not like this team?" But they're because we don't know about the top and the NFC is kind of a mess, it, there's a lot of tough outs. And for the beginning, when I'd look at the Giants' strength of schedule and I'd see the total, and I think they were eight, eight or eight and a half. Seven and a half. Seven and a half. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, but you know, they're cross-division matchups. Like When you looked at the strength of schedule rankings before the season started, every NFC East team had, like I think all four had the four easiest opponent schedules yeah. because of, you know again, their, their schedule assignment and the cycles of it. But then I was like, man, I still don't know because you go through all the roster stuff and you're just like, I'm not, I'm not having it. But Jones isn't turning the football over. And I still don't think he's great by any means. I don't even know if he's the answer, but each week goes by and I'll admit I'm like making excuses for like, no, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. But we're sitting here at six and one. And I don't love always doing that. Looking at the record, the giveaway takeaway numbers can lead to some misleading stuff. Uh, Philly is clearly executing at a different level. There's a lot of talent there as well, but they're also off the charts in the plus minus. Like they've only had two turnovers all season long. And I expect that to correct it at some point because it just just kind of does. So I'm trying to figure out like what I pick. There's no way I'm picking them against anyone in the playoffs, but we're still we're still not even halfway through the season. And that's a ridiculous statement to make. But that's just still how I feel. Can can I tell you that? So sometimes when a a coach gets fired or, you know, has a bad law, I'll reach out to him and just throw a text out there. Joe Judge gets fired in New York and it was a tumultuous week because originally it looked like he was coming back. Then the media, you know, was, was outraged by that. And then Judge gets fired and he did the famous clip of him, like having all the 36 beers, like on his, on his doorstep. And I texted him and I was just like, Hey man, like whatever, you know, you'll, you'll get another job. I'm here. If you need anything, just like saying hello, whatever. And he calls me and I don't think he would think I'm betraying his trust. And he goes, Hey, just one thing. 
Daniel Jones, that kid is tough as shit. And I'm like, really? That's your that's your take? Like Joe Judge, it just got fired, but Daniel Jones wasn't won you any big games. And he was like, Joe, Daniel Jones is tough as shit. That's a good kid right there. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, that's your takeaway from three, you know, two years coaching the Giants, this crazy blow up. And he was like, that's the word tough. And I think you see Daniel Jones walking into the stadium with the Jan Sport backpack and like the howdy doody look. And here he comes in. And it's like, oh, this guy's got nothing to him. He's got to to a man, a lot of those giants guys who have been in that building are like, he takes a beating. He gets up. He's, he works hard. Is he great? I don't know. Can he throw a football like the others? Probably not tough, smart, and like prepared. That goes a long way in the NFL and you'll get a lot of respect. So I, I don't know if he's the starting quarterback long-term, but that guy's always going to have a job in the NFL. Tough, smart, comes prepared, and the players like him. So he's not going to you know be the star of any you know cool new marketing ad, I don't think. But the very least, he comes to work with like a lunch pail, and that so plays into the Giants motif of what they're trying to build. That's what I want to finish on because I'm glad you said it because I think everybody knows it, but we need to emphasize it. And that's an unbelievable story. So thanks for sharing that. Is that... You know, you remember that Chargers Chiefs game and Herbert's rib is all screwed up and everybody's freaking out. Like, what's going on? You know, everybody's turned into a fucking doctor on social oh, media, which bro, is we could talk perhaps about it. one of the most annoying things ever. And I'm kind of glad Collins were. Go ahead. Everyone's so concerned about it, you know, on Twitter. And then the next tweet, they're tweeting about the third down decision. Like, if you're going to be about it, be about it. Like, you know, if you're going to be outraged by every decision a coach makes to keep a player in or you know, a, a, an illegal hit, I'm the same way as you. I love football. I know what you get when you kind of check in. I think the NFL has the best intentions for health and safety. But, um, you know, I'm on a flight back yesterday from L.A. and the Yankees are in a crucial, you know, game for every TV in that plane is watching Steelers, Dolphins, every single one of them. And these are the same people, I'm sure, who were on Twitter that were saying they were so disgusted with the sport that they'll never watch again after seeing Tua, you know, how that was handled. I, I think you have to show some grace with the NFL that they don't want these players to be in danger. And, you know, everyone's a, everyone's a doctor is right, but there actually are doctors who are trying their best. I don't think anyone's got, like, malicious feelings now and what the NFL's been through. So that's my point with that whole thing with, like, everyone's a doctor and on Twitter is so outraged at everything. But then don't tweet about, you know, a touchdown celebration the next play and, you know, do – be about it. If you're that outraged, do something about it, voice it, and that be your thing and always be consistent with it. You know what I mean? I don't know. Maybe I'm coming from a cloud that I'm paid by the NFL. And you can Well, that's exactly that. what will happen to you. You get paid by the NFL. Yeah. You're on an NFL show. That's why you're doing it. But, you know, last night I thought Collinsworth and Tariko did an awesome job talking about the Tua stuff. Like they mm -hmm. kind of broke out of play-by-play -play and color commentary character and just started talking about it. And they were like, hey, look. But then they'd say, oh, they're in bed with the NFL and they're part of there's Yeah. I actually agree with them. I have no, I'm never going to work for the NFL. Uh, I know that there's a backstory to this of decades of mistreatment of yep. a lawsuit. So the NFL has no no equity built up in this with this topic really Fair. so nobody nobody wants to trust that people are actually trying to do it the right way the whole time but i guess maybe yeah, maybe we're just both naive i tend to believe that at this point they're trying to get this right in something that's completely imperfect peak neurological awareness was a college game a few years ago once everybody decided they were a fucking concussion expert there was a kid throwing up on the sideline of a thursday night college football game after a big hit and people were like oh my god look at him and it was like no he got blasted it sucked and he was it's hot out it was in the south and the kid wasn't and that's i'm not trying to sound like like a neanderthal here i get but it pe people have somehow not all people but there's this weird like 
you realize what these guys do for three hours, right? They beat the shit out of each other. And for Daniel Jones to have a coach go, he's tough, and have his teammates be like, he's tough, and we're Herbert staying in the game against yep. the Chiefs because you know what's going to happen is if they get that touchdown, they don't throw the pick, and then he wins that game against the Chiefs, then it's like, look how tough Herbert is. That fucker. So every one of these quarterbacks knows what the job is. It's to throw, it's to get touchdowns, make the right decisions, preps, and all these different things. It's also get up every time you get the shit kicked out of you. The reason why everybody loves Joe Burrow, the reason why there's these older quarterbacks that we grew up with that are revered, Favre, okay, why people looked at Favre and was like, I remember sitting next to Mike Ditka, Favre waited for a guy to get open in the red zone, third down, he knew he had one shot at it, Favre tried to wait until the, I think the tight end got clear, he knew he was going to get killed, Ditka looks at me and he goes, Favre, he goes, that guy's got the balls of a mountain lion, yeah. all right, so and I've told that story before. I apologize to those who repeated it. But I, I, I feel like at times people have kind of lost sight of how you in the locker room get everyone to love you and buy into you and follow you in a leader and break the huddle and be like, that's our fucking guy. And trying to remove that, like, yeah, that's, that's kind of what these guys do. And it's not going to be pretty all the time. It is. And I think, you know, Tua last night scrambles, doesn't throw the ball away, doesn't slide, takes a hit. And everyone on, and I think even Barstool tweeted out, like, to uh, you know what something cynical about it like what is Tua doing you know but he's playing football playing football that's the only way he knows how to play football and it's not pretty always and it sucks but you saw you kind of go in there there's a social contract like it's a it's a physical sport it sucks the NFL's trying their hardest I promise you they are like we with the amount of segments that we dedicate to the guardian caps and what that means and the education on it and they changed the rules the protocol was changed on the fly they're trying their hardest and I, I, you know, to come in and just assume that it's the worst, but Daniel Jones toughness, like when you come up from that and you get the crap beat out of you and you get up the next down, like there still is some equity in that too, in the locker room. That's Peter Schrager. Good morning football <laughs> again, seven to 10 Eastern. And, um, I was, I was fired up about the Paul Rudd stuff because he seems, I didn't know you guys were buddies. Yeah. So you got Paul he, Rudd. You're, you're spending the weekends with McShay. Did you even catch any NFL or would you or not McShay, McVay? I uh, that up. It's okay. Todd McShay is cool. I've met him before. That's a good hang. No, no, that's a good <laughs> he's like a cool guy. Uh, yeah. Don't know him as well as you do, but uh, Rudd is great because he's like a, a big football fan, and we've met at football things, and then we exchange numbers, and it was one of those deals where it's like, do you abuse this? Do you ask him? Do you yeah. start to? But then he'll watch our show and he'll like shoot me a text and be like, don't forget to mention Willie Gay's return to the Chiefs defense. Like that was a big part. And I'm like, it's a good take. That's a good take. All right. I'll just throw that in there. Um, and then when I sat on it for three years, I was like, I'm going to ask him to do a favor. He stepped up and he was great. Can I tell you quickly the story he tells about about Rogan? And yeah, uh, please. All right. so, there's, he's got stories about every person like he's the Venn diagram of everyone. So there's Julia Roberts stories. There's Jennifer Aniston stories. and He's telling them all. But. I said, tell me Rogan. He says, like, Rogan is that one guy that you see and you're like, oh, I know that guy. And he's like, and you're absolutely right. He is exactly what you think you're getting. And he says, Judd Apatow gets approached by Tom Cruise at like peak Judd Apatow that J Tom Cruise is coming off the, 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 the Oprah thing. And he's like, I want to do a comedy. He ends up doing Tropic Thunder as like his big thing. But he spoke to Apatow at first and he's like, I want to be in one of your comedies. And Apatow is going to take a meeting with him. And at the last second, Apatow invites Seth Rogan to come with him. All right. And at the time, Cruz and uh, Katie Holmes just had their baby, Surrey. And the question in the media was like, is there even such a baby? Like, no one knows. This is like this like clouded thing. No one's seen a photo of him, whatever. So they go to this lunch at Tom Cruise's house and 
this is Rudd telling it secondhand because he gets tied in at the end, but they're filming 40 year old virgin at the time or knocked up, whatever it was. And they were all on set together. So they go to Tom Cruise's house and they come back and Rudd asks Judd and Seth, like, so Judd, like, like, how was it? And, and Judd's like, it was great. Like this guy is so cool. He is so gracious. He understands comedy. He's got all these chops. And Seth Rogen sitting there quietly, and then Rudd goes to Rogan, like, yeah. And Rogan's like, it was fucking weird. <laughs> He's like, the baby's real. Sorry. Saw Surrey. She's real. But it was fucking weird. He's like, he's a weird guy. And then and then Rudd's like, all right, so that's great in the moment. It was funny. And like Judd's like, no, 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 no. Then they go to Australia to promote the movie. And somehow Tom Cruise comes up and Rogan unfiltered on an Australian talk show, the equivalent of whatever, like Kimmel or Fallon. It's just like, met Tom Cruise. That's a weird guy. <laughs> he just goes right into it, like does not care. Um, I kind of did this, this vehicle with Rudd and it, you'll appreciate it. It was like, I'm just going to name names and just go, you know? So it was like Mahomes, go. Kelsey, go. Seth Rogen, go. Nathan Fielder, go. And uh, he's got a story for everyone. He's an awesome dude. So if you want to take a listen, it's like 90 minutes of Paul Rudd just unfiltered and he's great. That sounds great, man. I'm fired up. All right. Well, uh, look, enjoy the rest of the week and we'll uh, hopefully get you on before the season closes out. All right. You're the man, dude. Keep doing you, and I enjoy the life advice. I'll be listening. Thanks. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate? Hate. Is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like, you should. Gain season. Throw in a little something extra. An appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Food buddies. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Time for my week eight college football top 12. I still have Ohio State number one. We'll drop some resume nuggets in here for you. Uh, remember, the rules are, have you done anything that is impressive? Do I think you are good? And then rule number three is sometimes ignore rules number one and two. So again, Ohio State number one. I don't feel as good about that. You know what I'm saying? How is that possible? They just beat Iowa 54 to 10. Have you, be honest, have you ever watched Iowa play for three hours straight? Have you? My God. Anyway, going into that game, they were allowing 11 points per game. That was number three in college football. Ohio State scored 54 on them. Their defense is really good. We know the roster is really good. The schedule is going to start bothering me, and that's not necessarily because Notre Dame wasn't who we thought Notre Dame was in week one, and I always love the programs that will challenge themselves at least once against another big boy in college football, and at the time, you think that's what Notre Dame is. Um, certainly the last few years didn't turn out that way, but I've always struggled with, cause I don't have the answer. And this applies to kind of the Oregon, Georgia result is like, what do I do with that in December? What does it mean? Because some of these teams are very different from who they were. And then sometimes like, it'd be like, oh, well, you know, that's a really nice win. Cause that team ended up 10 and two. And I'm like, I don't know. Like when they beat them, I didn't really think they were that good. Or when they beat them, I thought they were a little bit better. So moving on to all this. The Ohio State position here at number one, even if I think they're better than everybody, 
once Tennessee and Georgia play, you know, seeing where Alabama kind of ends up, and then of course you have Michigan and Ohio State, which is you know going to cancel out one of them as a playoff contender most likely, unless we have some absolute chaos. Ohio State's probably going to get jumped, and this is my problem with the Big Ten, at least for this year. It just isn't that good this year. It just isn't. And if you run through some of these programs and see how the schedule will line up, like you've got a Wisconsin blowout, who's four and four, Michigan State blowout, three and four, Iowa's three and four. They're going to play Northwestern, who's one and six, and Indiana, who's three and five. None of those teams are good. They just aren't. Uh, Illinois or Purdue might win the West, and then that'll be who you're playing in the title game. So again, Ohio State stays clean. They beat Michigan, and then they beat whoever comes out of the West this year. They're going to be in the playoff. It's not going to matter. But as far as the polls, they're going to get jumped if one of those other two SEC East teams stays clean. So I have Tennessee at number two. Strength of schedule is much better than some of the others around them. A defense, not great at pony yards per play. The offense is incredible, and they still have three ranked opponents, Kentucky at Georgia and South Carolina, who creeps in at number 25. Number three, I've got Georgia. Strength of schedule isn't that great. The defense we know is incredible. The offense is actually top 10 as well. The Oregon part of this, if Oregon wins the Pac-12 after the UCLA win, we'll get to that a little bit later. I mean, this this ends up being kind of the scenario if Georgia were to beat Tennessee, but then Bama beats Georgia in the SEC title game, then what do you do with all those SEC schools? Just like we talked about with Micah Parsons in the Open, what's everybody else doing? You know, did did Ohio State or Michigan lose to the Big Ten West in the title game, right? Is the Big 12 champ a two-loss team? Did Oregon have another loss somewhere else in all of this? So I don't have the answers to the hypotheticals because I can't just go, well, this happens, this happens, and all those SEC teams have, who are you taking of the three? I have to know who else they're competing with. And then that includes the ACC, which still has an undefeated Clemson, who I have behind Michigan at number four. Michigan, we don't need to cover it again. We love the roster. The stats back it up. Strength of schedule is weak, but so is uh, Ohio State's and Georgia's. All right, number five, number five. Everybody has Clemson still looking at the AP and the coaches poll. I have Bama five. And that has more to do with who Clemson looked like against Syracuse than just giving Bama all the credit in the world for smashing Mississippi State, who now dropped for the rankings. They were 24th in the APM coaches. Uh, if you've been paying attention to history, and I know Bama and Mississippi State fans have, the last five times Mississippi State's gone to Tuscaloosa, the combined score coming off of this blowout on Saturday night is 160-9. Here's another thing that some Big 12 and ACC commentators would like to remind you of that as soon as Tennessee and Alabama was done they were shitting on the defense instead of enjoying one of the coolest sights that we've seen in college football this entire season Bama's actually still a top five defense top seven in other categories so yes sometimes there are blowouts but at the end of the year when you start looking at those stats you're like ah, I don't know about their defense and I, who are you comparing it to because when you do compare it to the other big boys they're right there and the defense um We'll see what happens against LSU, both coming off of a bye week. Clemson at number six. I dropped him down. Strength of schedule, 56. They actually got one first place vote in the AP after this week. So they didn't get voted. Just so you hear me. No one voted them number one in the country last week. They watched the Syracuse game and they benched their quarterback and they went, yep, sign me the fuck up. I'm in. That had to have been a mistake. I didn't research it enough this morning. That had to have been a mistake for somebody to be like, yeah, give me Clemson. Now I think they're the best team in the country. 
They're losing to Syracuse. A lot of it's turnovers. Uangalale gets benched for Club Nick, who we were flirting with the idea that he was going to come around. But again, I was sticking up for DJ last week because I was like, look, the stats are just, look how bad they were last year. Look how much better. And if he's this, then they're good. The front is really good. Maybe the linebacker and secondary, you don't like that much. But Syracuse, props to them. Schrader, their quarterback, is good. Aranda Gadsden, who we all know his dad from the Dolphins, is a freak as a sophomore receiver. I give Chiefs a lot of credit for their O-line handling that defensive front for the first 30 minutes because the second 30 minutes, they can do anything with the football. Clemson pulls it off. You knew this was going to happen. We get a sideline report during that game that was like, Chiefs is a little bummed out on the sideline. You're like, no shit, really? They blew a lead. They can't move the football. They punted, I think, five or six straight possessions and then turned it over at the end. They're not having a good time on the road as they piss this lead away again. So I dropped Clemson down to six. Don't have any issues with it whatsoever. Number seven, TCU. Training schedule isn't that good. The <laughs> defensive numbers uh, are not what you'd want. But they beat four ranked teams in one calendar month. Oklahoma, we know it's on the way down. Kansas with a backup QB, but their backup's actually pretty good. The Oklahoma State comeback was unreal, and now they beat K-State. They've, they find a way to blow teams out that are ranked. They, come, they find a way to fight back against other ranked teams. That's tough to do. They were picked seventh in the preseason Big 12 uh, media day stuff, and Doug into Johnston is one of the best combos for quarterback to wide receiver in the country. Those guys are nasty together. Johnson's just huge, not necessarily the fastest guy. He ran a stop-and-go route a couple weeks ago. I think it was against Oklahoma State. I don't know. That Oklahoma State game against TCU, Spencer Sanders' mother was on TV more than Greeny. But um, that that TCU team, I don't think you can do – maybe you could put them sixth. I think some of the stats I don't necessarily love, but they are a really good offense, and they put it together uh, for this last month. Oregon, I've got them eighth. Strength of schedule, obviously very good. Their offense is incredible. Bo Nix turned into Bo Nix 2. This is the sequel. I did not see this coming. Defensive numbers are scary, uh, whether it's yards per play or yards per game allowed. Uh, they win the Pac-12. I think they're going to be all right. But again, they still have some work to do. USC at number nine. I have my head of Oklahoma State. I could flip these either way. I wouldn't really worry about it. Let's just put it this way. I like their quarterback better than Oklahoma State's quarterback. I like Caleb better than Spencer Sanders, even though I respect the hell out of Spencer Sanders. USC's defensive numbers are bad. Oklahoma's are worse. And it's weird because Oklahoma has some weird offensive stats that aren't that great, but they're number two in red zone possessions per game. So they run so many plays. Uh, by the way, Texas Tech last week ran more plays than the entire state of New Mexico's college football programs combined. See if you can figure out that riddle. Okay, so that's number 10. Who's at number 11? Drop UCLA down. They got blasted up Eugene. Couldn't stop them. Uh, I still think that their wins, the win against Utah, and granted Washington, we don't feel the same about that win as we do now, who lost to Arizona State after they lost to UCLA. They have wins against Arizona and Cal. All right, whatever. I like that win against Utah better than I like Wake's win against Florida State. So what are we going to do at number 12? Ryan, Wake is 11th in the AP, and they're 10th in the coaches. Are you going to drop Ole Miss down? Well, yeah. I didn't even have them in the top 12 last week. Who tried to tell you that? Well, are you going to put Penn State there because they beat up on Minnesota? No. What about Illinois, the number one defense in college football? No. 
He's not going to put LSU there, is he? Here's the thing is I wanted to, and then I wasn't going to because I was like, people are just going to think I'm doing this because I like LSU. I was like, no, that's not you. You would not do that thing because people think you're only doing it because of a reason. Yeah, I think they turned this thing around with Brian Kelly. I didn't really like their quarterback all that much. He's been awesome the last couple of weeks. They absolutely put it on Ole Miss after a bad first start. I like their wins better than some of those other teams. And we'll find out against Bama November 5th. So yeah, I put LSU 12th. Deal with it. This episode is brought to you by Viore. It's time to ditch your old workout fit. Seriously, just let them go and try Viore clothing instead. Their active wear is unbelievable. Sometimes I wear it and I go, do I look too good? (laughs) I don't want to be at this peak level of awesomeness in their joggers every single day. This is going to be hard to maintain, but that's what the joggers do for you. Whether you're sort of business cash, whether you're just around the house, whether you're working out, whether you're getting on a plane and you're going to be in your seat for a long time, the joggers just give you a hug for the entire flight. It's soft. It's comfortable. You're never going to want to take them off. Incredible versatility. You can wear it while taking part in different kinds of exercises, running, training, swimming, yoga, and more. Viore yoga class. That just makes sense. The Sunday jogger is the number one go-to. And of course, the core short out and out. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. That's V-U-O-R-I.com slash Ryan. You want details? Fine. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. What's up, everyone? Life advice, a little weekend recap. Man, Kyle, people just, Team Kyle, the numbers are deep, they're strong. Cowherd Cowherd tweeted out that he hit me up to go (laughs) out, and then (laughs) I ignored the phone call, and then he started making fun of me about, like, oh, he's probably doing game prep or whatever. And then somebody else hit him up. It was like, it's called, he just watches games, Colin. You should try it. And it was, <laughs> it was a pretty good, it's not super detailed. It's just the guy sits there and watches games. And the college football late slate wasn't that good. And then once Miami Toronto was over, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm kind of in the clear here. I may tape, you know, fourth quarters or some other games. But then I was like, oh, you know, pivot. I'm, I'm going to nice guy, which is in LA. <laughs> There's no way I was going to nice guy with Cowherd. I wasn't going to go in general. And then people were so upset that they thought I was going. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it wasn't wasn't a good joke. No one was having a good time. People actually just thought that Colin tweeted at me and that Cowherd and I were going out in L.A. with no invite to Kyle. (laughs) And people were so fucking mad about it. So I just want a little little ego boost for the big guy here on a Monday morning. Yeah, it felt good. That felt good. Glad you had a good night. We didn't. It was, it was, it was fine. I mean, I shouldn't say it wasn't, it wasn't good or bad. We went to a local spot. I, uh, you know what I did do though with Cowherd? Cause Cowherd will eat food off of your plate. Straight up. That's an interesting fact. Not surprising. Yeah. 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 A lot of guys won't do that move. Does he ask you or does he just straight up take the fork and just take a no. potato? No, there was a guy who worked on like ops once that said, he did a road show with Cowherd and Cowherd just started taking his son's fries and dipping them in the ketchup. 
You're going to take food from my kid's plate? Right. Imagine you got like a nine-year-old boy and you're just sitting there and then some adult reaches over and is like, hmm, fries. (laughs) Here's the thing, though. That could be like elite douchebag energy, which which it totally could be. But yeah. with Cowherd, I honestly just think he just doesn't even, it doesn't register. Like he's, it's like a social cue that he just doesn't understand. I don't think he's being a douche about it. He just doesn't he really get it. No, he isn't. It isn't. Like there's not many people who can get away with it. And that's what I love talking. Like I love breaking down dude scouting reports. Like who in your friend group could get away with eating half of your sub? Half a sub is different. Half a bite. Like we had a buddy, Hal, where... I I had a meatball sub. I ate half of it. I put the other half in the fridge. It was his house and I was on the couch. And then he just went in and started eating my meatball sub to like prove a point. And then other guys were like, I can't believe you're actually doing that to Rosillo. <laughs> and I was like, I don't really know the move here because it is his house. And it was, I don't even think he was hungry. It was just alpha move. You know, <laughs> it was like New Zealand in international play, like just, you know, dancing in front of me. Before the he's, tip, he's just he's just charging a tax for being at his house, you know. Yeah, it's his fridge, you know. Yeah, em, dick em, move em by Hal, but like Hal was a guy that could kind of get away with some different stuff. Whereas if I did that at somebody's house, like I was not somebody who, like, again, wait, why could he get away? Was he nice or was he intimidating? Just everybody liked him. Very yeah, friendly so. guy. Yeah, like he could do something. Oh, shit, I was going to say something else he did, but I'm not going to because I already used his name. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, fuck, it's a really good story. And it's a good example. It's not like anything terrible. It just, it just was like, it's a perfect example that he did something bad and had others try to do what he did. It would have been a much bigger problem, but it was like, oh, whatever. You know, how, how? Yeah, such a good guy. <laughs> So cowherd, yeah. So I ordered some chicken and rice, but then they were like, you get two sides. I was like, give me a side of fries. And I was like, hey, these are for you. So I gave I gave him distraction fries. Smart. Nice Did he appreciate it or was like uh was it just yeah, he's like, like I don't know if I'm gonna do them today? One. And then he was just I was like, No, those are your <laughs> fries. Like, do you want them less now that they're not mine? That's what I was wondering. Yeah. The fun of the the fun of the cheat is like, you know, it's it's only fun if they're not your fries. Like that's like Whenever it's like, it's like ordering yeah. f- like food with my wife, like, all right, do you want this? And she's like, no. And then she'll take it off my plate. But if she orders it for herself, she's not going to eat as much of it. It's just like a law of the universe. Yeah, it makes sense. Sometimes guys can be like that. With, like, oh, he doesn't like me now that I'm not dating anybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let's get to life advice. Life advice, rr at gmail.com. Again, life advice, rr at gmail.com. If you want to submit a question, uh, just a heads up. The Denver show sold out first day. Props to uh, that get done, but we don't. This is life advice. This is not a ticket request <laughs> email thread. So, okay. Uh, we have to start with a follow-up from the bike guy, right? Yes. Yes. Right. All right. Um, thank you guys for reading the email. Definitely made my day. I know you didn't ask for a follow-up. We wanted one, though. Yeah, you could tell. You spent enough time on it. I just want to address some of the points you guys made. I'll keep it much shorter. I promise he does. I don't know. That was a long email. Normally, I would have just gone, but I don't. I felt something about that one. We have had a ton of follow-ups to the bike guy. So here's uh, some follow-ups from the guy himself. In terms of my girlfriend's bike attachment, yeah, I would agree. She has an emotional attachment to the bike. But in her defense, the night before, 
So approximately 12 hours after we saw that the bike was stolen, she had picked out a new bike she was going to buy, but I told her to wait a couple of days in case it came up on the Facebook group, which it did. I think once she saw it listed online and it was now within the realm of possibilities of getting it back, she sort of became set on getting her bike, which I think makes some sense. So it sounds like as we were kind of asking, like this guy was, you know, running a microchip type program oh, here where yeah. he's just yeah he's just <laughs> on it for 24 48 straight hours you know tabs open everywhere it sounds like he initiated the investigation kyle's analysis was spot on the first thing i clocked when i came face to face with the thief was a large pocket knife on his backpack strap <laughs> boy kyle knows his knife guys <laughs> <laughs> you know you're around long enough yeah jesus christ that was I don't think you got enough credit for your box cutter bike thief Venn diagram comment. That was that was yeah, Rudy nailed that one. Yeah. Okay. Um, I also don't know if he mentioned it, but I live in. Uh, oh, I, I still don't know if I mentioned it, but I live in Philadelphia. You didn't. That does change it a little <laughs> bit. So I was worried that if he had a knife, maybe he also had a gun. Who knows? Uh, again, I'm not a fighter, so this point is moot. But I will say I recently partially twin tore my Achilles <laughs> and still am in a boot. Definitely affects the Madden overall rating right now. Definitely. So there was no chance I was fighting anyone. That being said, I did bring pepper spray just in case something <laughs> went down and I had to defend my myself or girlfriend. Motherfuckers in a boot with pepper spray. <laughs> Quick Wait, stop hold at on. CVS by the way over. If I remember correctly, too, wasn't he like the last one to get in the car, too, when like they were speeding away? The girl, yeah, like, think left about him the getaway in, in a boot. Like she left him hanging in a boot <laughs> as the last person to get in the car <laughs> as the guy's screaming at them, chasing them down. Man, okay. Yeah, now I have a follow up of like, why did she want to do this while you're in a boot, in a torn Achilles boot? Regarding like, the insurance, uh, my girlfriend got the bike secondhand after purchasing it. She found out the bike is from European brand. Jatane, I don't know. I'm not that sure. familiar. I had a small COVID bike phase, kind of out of the game now. That no longer exists, which makes it more valuable uh, than I think she realized initially. This explains why the payout was so much higher than what she bought it for. She then used the $200 of the $1,200 she got from insurance to buy the bike that was stolen. Oh she God. submitted the claim after the bike was stolen, then had to initially, oh, wait, then had to spend the money to get the bike back. I don't think there's anything dishonest or immoral about that, but maybe Steve has a stronger, stronger moral compass than me. <laughs> There's some insurance fraud that we brought up potentially. Uh, also, to be clear, my girlfriend was very, very, very grateful uh, for what I was doing for her. Upon our return, she apologized for putting me in a tough spot. Yeah, now that she had her bike back, okay. thanked me profusely and bought me dinner. We've been together for over five years. I love my lady. I love that you love her too, man. I'm glad. Yeah, that, that's really I'm glad you got a story too. Yeah, listen, you came out looking great in this scenario, so I, nobody's worried about you. Yeah, clearly no one's worried about him. Yeah, I'm just worried about sporting events or something. If you're in like a, <laughs> at a Phillies game in the future, I'm just wondering what kind of what she might get into or get you into. But uh, I'm glad everything ended well. Okay, this is a very unique one, but I think we are actually the best people to ask about this. Does working in sports make you care less about them? <laughs> Hi, six foot one, one ninety. My roommate in college was a massive sports fan, similar to me. We'd spend Saturdays and Sundays watching the games and betting the board, having Sports Center on all day, games on each night. Go to all of our school's games whenever our pro teams were in town would go without thinking twice. Fast forward to adulthood, and he's working for a major sports network in production. 
With this, he moved to a major city. I've noticed since moving, he goes to maybe one or two games a year. And his participation in the group chat plummets whenever the topic of our teams comes up. We thought that was weird, but figured he's just busy now with traveling for work uh, to, that he has to go to games, despite there being multiple teams in his town. This weekend, we're discussing our alma mater in the group chat and the pitiful football season it's having. Someone made the comment about this being the third down year in a row. And I responded saying it's too bad that COVID really screwed things up with the 2020 basketball tournament being canceled, the football season that year being weird. The roommate then responds with, quote, maybe this is your sign to move on. We don't go there anymore. Hmm. Never graduate, dude. <laughs> <laughs> in his defense, we've been out of school for a decade now. I definitely watch less sports than I do in high school and college as I have less time. Yeah, no shit. You've got rent or mortgage or families or real things, and you can't watch everything the way you got to back in high school when shit was paid for. So I get that. But to dismiss sports altogether was a very weird reaction out of him in my mind. So my question for the gang, is this, getting an, uh, is this a getting older thing? Is it a wanting to leave work at work type of thing? Uh, with working in sports all day than having discussed it in his off time or is he just becoming a grump and his response was out of left field? I think your buddy here is totally wrong. I think for him to say, maybe this is your sign to move on, we don't go there anymore, is one of the dick, like, such a dick thing to say. Like, I wouldn't want to be friends with a guy that would feel that way. Like, I don't know that you should ever get to an age. Like, if it was important to you now, you shouldn't pre-bake in these ages where, oh, by 40, I won't want to go to homecoming. Or by 40, who gives a fuck? I think it's awesome. When you go to a school, because I didn't go to this kind of school, and after our 25-year reunion disaster, I think 11 people showed up. Again, I had to be there anyway, um, but I was fired up, and nobody fucking went. Like, my school sucks with that stuff. They suck with it. They put it on parents' weekend, so all the alums that want to come back, we're just not going to be organized enough. We're not going to fucking be like parents, get in the rooms two years ahead of time. There wasn't any rental cars. Like, UVM just does a shitty job with all that kind of stuff. So I have admiration. I have envy. I love when I see... When I'm going to a Wisconsin football game and I'm walking around Madison and I'm seeing some guy with a fucking sweater on from the 1930s, that's an exaggeration. But I think that's cool. I think it's a sense of community that you're all attached by this one thing. Maybe I'm the loser for feeling that way, but it's the way I feel. And I love seeing that. I love seeing that in college towns the way you don't see with a pro fan base. Uh, and I know pro fans would be like, oh, it's just not the same. No, you don't get it. When you have this college program that has nothing else to compete with it, and you see the entire community kind of just rally around a home game for four days, it's a really cool thing. Something I didn't experience and didn't understand until my 30s when I actually started traveling everywhere. So don't pretend, or I pretend is the wrong word, don't hold yourself to some standard, some make-believe is maybe where I was going with that, standard of that you're supposed to, at a certain age, be over all of this shit. Um, now, maybe it's because he works in sports, because that definitely happens. I was super fan all the time. And then once I talked about the Red Sox every fucking day for three to four hours a day for three years, now I still care about the Red Sox outcomes. I want them to win. I want the Celtics to win. But when they lose, I don't care. That's the difference. It's, it's an, um, Pats, I haven't cared about forever. I only wanted Brady to just have an absurd resume. I care about St. John's basketball, the LSU things the last 10 plus years. It's fun. I love, I love the people down there. But, yeah, the ups and downs, like the only things I care about now is whether or not I'm going to say something that ends up being incredibly fucking right or stupid. 
And that's where a rooting interest and it's very fleeting. So I do think there's some truth because it does happen to a lot of people, especially when you spend all the time with this, but the work, keeping work at work and not bringing it home with you, I get all that. But his comment, his specific comment to the thread, quote, maybe this is your sign to move on. We don't go there anymore. If he was serious about it, that's like far beyond any of the stuff that we're even talking about. Like he's in a hurry to be older or I don't know. I shouldn't even say older or more mature because I don't think it is a sign of maturity to decide you no longer have passion for a place that you care so much about. It's good to care about fucking things. You know what I mean? Like, what's the point? Like, I care about stuff. So fuck him. Yeah, I think either A or B, probably. I think either A, he wished this group would stop talking about your losing basketball team. Like, he likes this group chat, and he just doesn't... He wishes he didn't have to go through this every year, and that was his way of trying to let that out. Or B, he was trying to be, like, you know, an asshole in a friendly way, and it just came off really weird for a bunch of guys who care about this shit. So I think it's either A, like, he doesn't want to be out of this group chat, but he just wishes it wasn't always, you know, like, clockwork the same the same thing every year or B he was just trying to be funny and it just came off to where everyone's like, it's like, Whoa, what was that about? So I don't, I don't even think it's that serious. Yeah. I think, I mean, Ryan, also like working at ESPN, working in sports, like you, you, a lot of people go to the same schools, right? Syracuse is a big one. I, I get annoyed with the Syracuse discourse. Like, okay, we get it. Everyone at Syracuse, you guys all talk about Syracuse. You guys are all tweeting about Syracuse. I get annoyed with that. Penn state's another one where you're like, all right, man, like, all right, like half of like, Everyone I work with went to Penn State. I get annoyed with those things um, because I'm constantly beat over the head with it. But this idea that you should completely disown your college team after you graduate and that you should just grow up and you're immature because of that is absolutely insane. I will say I, I've i gotten, I think, less into college sports the older I've gotten. Um, I don't know if that's because it's an age thing. And I was like, all right, I'm kind of, I don't know. It's weird that I'm like a 30-year-old now who's like talking about 18-year-old kids. I don't know. Um but I've also kind of got this like weird apathy towards the NFL too, because like it's just something that we talk. It's, it's so it's such a big part of our job, especially when like in the in like the real years that ESPN, where that was the only thing we were ever talking about, was like NFL year round. NFL year round, it always sells. Talk about it. Like I kind of just got a little bit jaded towards it, and that's probably why I moved towards soccer and like kind of like the league pass sort of crew in the NBA. So I understand like at some point like growing out of certain things that you used to love. But I don't think you should hold it over other people's heads and make them feel like they're losers because they still care about something, something, especially when they went to the school. So I think this guy's just being an asshole. You be you. I mean, I think part of getting older is you just don't have as much time to be as invested. Like, I remember back in the day, I used to be able to name, like, you know, backup offensive linemen on every single NFL team. And now yeah. it's like, what's the point of, like, oh, cool, man. Like, th- nobody cares. Um, so I don't know. I don't think you should ever let it fully die. But life also kind of does make you less interested over time. Um, but I will say to his point, like working in sports definitely does make you jaded towards certain things, at least for me personally. Yeah. NFL hardo guy. I'm all set with like the competition to prove that you like football more than the other guy that really likes football that. And then I'll be like, do you, does this person ever say anything interesting? Like what fuck? And so NFL hardo, but then again, it's like, well, what am I going to do? Not like the NFL because a couple guys are annoying on social media. Like that, that doesn't seem to be great yeah. math. Uh, I think there's, yeah, like. I, like when somebody will tweet out like the ratings, but they do it in a way that's like shitting on all the other sports. You're like, what do you get out of this? Like, what do you have stock in it? No. Yeah. Like, what? What does that mean? Um, clearly, I'm thinking about. <laughs> I know clearly, exactly I'm thinking about. Yeah, I'm clear. I'm thinking about one person in particular right now. 
So we'll uh, we'll leave it at that. The only thing else I could think of is, that, do you hammer this guy with questions because he works in sports all the time? Like, is there a part of this email that's leaving out some part of the story where, well, I would say a part that isn't in the email, right? But where you're asking him all sorts of questions about all sorts of shit all the time. Like, like Saruti, I used to know every rotation. I could go like four arms deep in every bullpen. I used to memorize who the 30 NHL coaches were because I thought I needed to know that. I can't name, I think, I don't know, gun to my head. You might have to pull the trigger after three. <laughs> so yeah, like if you're playing like, where did you go to, where did this guy go to college game 10, 15, 20 years ago? Like my friends would go for like four straight hours and you know, cool, man. <laughs> like now I'm looking back at that. It's like, yeah, yeah but that's, that was that's awesome like when you're the, 18, 19, 20. Yeah. Now it's yeah. like, all right, that's not that cool anymore, dude. Yeah. Like being young also is having a ton of room in your brain. You know, all, yeah. all the, the GBs aren't used up yet. <laughs> so you're just, you're just using it on the dumbest shit. It's why you knew every yeah. lyric, you know, like when you get older and you're like, I can't believe I don't know who this musician is. But like, no, that's the fucking point. You have way more important shit there stored yeah. up than, you know, every fucking Billie Eilish lyric. Billie Eilish. Whoa. Shout out. You okay. big fan? No, I just I think I saw some of her documentary. I was like, she seems kind of like cool and grounded. I don't, She's actually I don't. pretty good. I was anti yeah. and then I started listening because I was like, wow, all right. Not bad. Okay. All right. This is a good one. So all three of us will handle this one well. I might be the worst one to ask of the three. 34 years old, six foot, 185, best shape of my life, mostly cardio. Rep 225 for 13 on the bench when I was 19. Probably can't do one today. Doesn't matter. Feel good. Look good. Can I get a chuckle out of Kyle on that one? <laughs> yeah. Feel good. Look good, man. All right. Huge fan SVP. Okay. Got it. All right. Need my wife to start making money. I have a pretty oh, good boy. job in a uh, <laughs> supervisor role, and the company is really growing, so I'm pleased with my career. I think I know I'm underpaid, but who isn't? It's better to think you're underpaid than overpaid, right? <laughs> like, I can't more common believe too. <laughs> what I make every two weeks, right? <laughs> we have two kids, both, uh, both under three. After our first child, my wife went back to work, but couldn't make it through the first week, which I believe is actually kind of normal for new moms. Uh, yeah, I think that's. Yeah, I think that makes sense. She eventually yeah. got an yeah, she got an entry level banking job and did that for a year, but got pregnant again. and hasn't worked since the birth of our second child, who's about to turn one. So a year out of work, dude, you're talking about like. These kids are young. My income is enough to cover all our bills and lifestyle, but not a dollar more than that. We're not saving a dime which isn't ideal with two young children in the current economy. Yeah, scary shit. I briefly mentioned to her a few times getting a part-time job when I get off work or on the weekends just for peace of mind, and she says maybe and just kind of brushes it off. Hmm. She's, she's not sitting on her ass all day. She's taking care of her kids and stuff around the house, which I realize is a lot of work, not to mention childcare costs are through the roof right now. I just want her to make 100 to $200 a week which I don't think is too much to ask given our situation. She has a degree in psychology, which I know is mostly useless. <laughs> Whoa. Don't say that. Is <laughs> yeah, yeah, is I'll give you some advice there. <laughs> he says worthless. That's free game. <laughs> actually, did. I did one of those vision things where I just... He, he actually he tried to soften it for him a little. <laughs> yeah, which is worse than useless, I think. It feels... Am I yeah. right on that? Doesn't it feel worthless. worse? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If uh, Kyle, if I called you worthless in an argument it, instead of useless, isn't that worse? 
Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, it'd yeah. be great if neither of those had to come out. But yeah, no, I agree. Because I mean, something could be valuable and useless, but wait, not wait, worthless. Wait. This isn't about... <laughs> I can't wait for Denver, dude. Can't wait till you just unload on me on stage in a live, unrecorded format. No way. That'd if someone great. says you have no worth, let's just do it with Saruti. I called you up on the phone and be like, I don't know what the fuck is wrong with you. You are worthless. Okay, that doesn't feel good. If you were useless, that could mean you lately have no use, but you Correct. still have some worth. Yeah, yeah. This worth, is, yeah, worth feels big picture. Like it's beyond yeah. even just your job. Like you just don't even, you're not even a useless, a useful member of society, as they use the term useful. Not being useful, I don't know, you can still be funny. Like, you know, you, there's still like, there's, there can still be some redeeming qualities. Worthless is just like, you don't even belong on earth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, we're all on the same page with that one. Deep, dark. So, uh, but it's something she has, and uh, she has managerial experience in the service industry. Okay, I'd be willing to get a side gig myself, but she doesn't want that because that's when I—that's when uh, uh, we know what happens here. Because me coming home gives her a break from the kids. I've mentioned DoorDash or bartending, which she has experience in—just uh, something that she only has to do two to three times a week. I think it'd be good for her mental health as well as getting out of the house and having her own income. We've already made several lifestyle changes. I quit golfing. We really go out to eat. We really don't travel at all anymore. I'm really interested in what you guys would do in my situation. We're okay. He's got a credit score over 800 that he wanted Jeez. to share with us. He's going to get more raises. Hell yeah. uh, he's about to pay off the student loans, but at the end of the day, the extra income would go a long way for our family. Thanks, go Vols. Mm. I, think, I think the end is the most important part there. Sounds like... You're almost out of the woods, years. dude. Yeah. She's already telling you she doesn't want to do this. Okay. So, you know how like when you ask people about stuff and you kind of soft ask it, soft pitch, soft pitches, whether it's your roommates, but like, hey, what do you guys think about getting like a tarp out back? You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, do you guys want to do like a day party here next Thursday? And then all four guys are like, hmm. That's their answer. <laughs> that's a thing. Yeah. That's that's their answer because, you know, they if they wanted to, they would say, Yes, let's get a canopy. I can install it. Uh, I would let this one go, man. She doesn't want to do it. She doesn't want to do it. You got a two and a one-year-old running around right now, right? Two, three and one, two and one. That's a lot. And yes, on the male-female breakdown, I think it, it's a tough one because the if the female's at home taking care of the kids all the time, as soon as you walk through the door, it's like, finally, I get a break. And the guy's looking at it as like, I've been at work all day and now I come home and now I have to take care of the fucking kids. So it's hard. It's very hard. Uh, as you know, even though I haven't experienced firsthand, I get how tough that is. You also said you wanted to make 100, 200 bucks extra a week. Her working two to three nights a week, bartending or doing DoorDash. I don't know what the DoorDash payout is. Uh, if you're bartending for less than 100 or 200 a night, then you'd probably be doing it wrong. So I it really, yeah, like I get the wanting to get her out of the house. I think you're, I would, you know, if I were married, I would want my wife, I would need my wife to have something that's super important to her. Okay. Um, but if she's taking care of the kids and I could say like down the road, but I think one, they're too young for you to be going, you need to get out of the house, even if it was better for her. She clearly has already given you the answer because she has no reaction to it other than brushing it off because she doesn't want to fucking do it. If I were her, I wouldn't want to do it either. And for you to say, even if things are tight, to go the 100 to 200 extra a week, but then you're suggesting the two to three nights, like the math is off there a little bit. So mm -hmm. 
I mean, you can talk to her about it, but I wouldn't push this at all. She's at home all day raising your kids that are really young and a ton of fucking work and it's a tough spot and maybe getting her out of the house would be better for her balance. But I don't know that you should make it a money conversation. And as Saruti pointed out at the end of the email, it sounds like things are looking up Jefferson's. Word. I mean, and then also like a part-time job, ideally like one that she could just pick up, she probably wouldn't be like super thrilled about it. Like she wouldn't feel like she's doing anything. And then also that's going to make it so you guys don't really see each other at all besides, you know, like if it's like, yeah, when I'm off, then you go. Like that's not going to be fun. Second of all, if she got like a real like, you know, full-time job, the childcare probably wouldn't, like if you're actually talking about money, you'd probably be shocked and, and appalled at the amount you're spending on childcare. So I wonder if like, Maybe she's ever talked about wanting to do like a side hustle, like at home. Like, does she want to write children's books? We know that's a game everyone mm-hmm. can get into. Yep. Does she want to make like soap on a rope? I don't know. Yeah, um, Etsy. Some sort Figure of weird, out. some sort of weird art thing. Serenity by like, Jan. That was a home <laughs> office. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I just wonder if there's anything like that that you could be like. Is there anything you want to do? And you could just be like, you know, I think I want you to be passionate about it. And if you, if there's like any any sort of thing that you've wanted to do, like it's just. You could be like, do you have any like hopes and dreams about something you could, you know, do at home? And if she says no, then I guess just wait it out because pretty soon your kids are going to be going to public school, I would think. You know, that's I'm a I'm a proponent of public school, depending on where you live. So, you know, if you send them at five and one of them, it's like might be three years, you know, before she's even able to be gone, have a real nine to five anyway. And by that time, maybe that's what she wants. So um, I don't know. Maybe see if there's any like lingering passions that she could get going at home and at, for, you know, low stakes just to see if she likes it. Yeah. But th- I think this guy cares about the money more than he cares about that. Uh, I know he really, does because he but... shifted from 100 to extra t- t- one to 200 extra dollars a week into suggesting two to three nights. So, yeah, I think this guy's more worried about the money and all the stuff at home. Like Serenity by Jan, you need some seed money to get off that off the ground. So that's sure. more money out than money's going to be coming in the first however many months. So that's that's an issue there. I just think for the amount of money that he's kind of suggesting, like it doesn't really match up all that well. And it's very clear. Like people tell you how they feel about things, even without telling you. And she's already told you how she feels about that. So I just don't, the kids are so young. I don't know that I would push it right now. Wait till preschool, dude. Like wait till Uh, there's actually sending them out of the house for a little bit. The thing I'm confused about though is, so she doesn't work. Uh, She's home with kids full-time which obviously is is i wouldn't want to do it it's hard work like i it's it's it is what it is like that's i would when you i feel like when you when you birth a child and you are then raising them at home like you're just not as a dude in a position to tell the missus what to do i'm I'm sorry like it just even if you feel like you're right here and you're like hey it would make our life better and you know whatever our financially would be a little more set i just you're just it's just not a battle you're going to win and you're always going to look like the asshole. Like it's, it, there's just no win there for you. So I would say what we talked about before, it looks like if you're getting a raise, that's awesome. The, the childcare costs are going to go away in a couple of years. The only thing I would ask though, is if she's at home with the kids, what, what childcare are they paying for? I don't, is anybody else confused by that? No, he meant, he meant like on the idea that if they got him out of the house and she was working more childcare he, costs. Okay. Yeah. All yeah. right. So, I just think you're, you're not in a position to, to make that ask. And you said it perfectly, Ryan. Like, she clearly doesn't want to do it. Um, like, I, you know, I have a buddy who is he's actually kind of like of the cowherd sort of like 
personality where like he gets away with a lot of shit and he'll make these comments about like, oh, like my wish my wife, could work, you know, she's got to make some more money. We, you know, we, we got to get her salary bumped up and he'll like make little jabs about it all the time. And it's like kind of OK because it's him and like nobody it just is who he is, his personality. But you kind of don't want to be that guy because that guy usually comes off as an asshole. So if you're really telling anyone this or if your wife is like, hey, my my husband's like really pushing me to get a job or to like kind of like pick up my end of things like you're just going to come off as the asshole. So I, I would wait it out, even if it's going to suck for the next couple of years. And you're not going to be able to go on vacation or go out to eat. It sounds like long term, you're going to be fine. Maybe she could do remote HR. She's got management and psychology, right? Isn't that sort of what they uh, what they do? Yeah, who knows? That's out I of my you, field of expertise, guys. I think you need another degree for that, though. Pretty sure that's what he's implying. Like a undergrad in sociology or psychology is not super useful. Oh, you need okay. more schooling. That's what it sounds like. Well, HR is not super useful either. So, <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> We've joked well, about one. this already. It's okay. We've joked about this already. It's all right. <laughs> all right. That's life advice. Thanks to Saruti. Thanks to Kyle. Uh, we'll be back on Wednesday. Do we have our guest book for Wednesday yet or no? We've yeah. Damien Woody and oh, we're taping right. Austin Eckler. So we'll see. We actually two pretty good guests. Okay. All right. So there you go. NFL's past meets NFL's present. That'll be the title for Wednesday's pod. If we sucked at titling <laughs> stuff. All right. Thanks as always. Plus Laurie marketing talk. There you go. A little Laurie. Yeah, we'll do some NBA tales from the couch. <laughs> <laughs> the Thrano Jazz. Uh, Ringer Spotify. Please subscribe. <laughs>